your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around the left side. He's got a first down, 35-30. Wandale, 25-20, 15-10-5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Another day, another day without a Big Ten football schedule to be announced as we welcome you to our Tuesday edition of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. So glad you could join us here tonight. We'll try to keep you informed and entertained over the next couple of hours. Glad to have you with us here tonight. Austin had it in the ticker, and that uh, as I've been piecing this together today, talking to some some writers around the conference and some other folks, and Adam Rittenberger we had on the program last night succinctly put it with a tweet about an hour ago saying, hearing that the Big Ten schedule likely to be released tomorrow along with medical protocols for football season could be delayed further. Commissioner Kevin Warren spoke with athletes from around the league Monday night. He's definitely aware of their concerns in playing during a pandemic. Other reporters are saying that the schedule would have come out today, but then the out, the outbreak at Rutgers, which was bigger than initially thought, slowed that process down. Adam then had another tweet after that one that said a few weeks ago an athletic director from another conference told me, watch the Big Ten. League was first to outline general schedule model, could also be the first to pull back if the league determines the environment isn't safe enough to play. Uh, so that's where it stands. That's what I was being told by people today, Ben, that that was all set to be released today. Then the Rutgers outbreak became bigger than they thought. The Northwestern announcement yesterday got them all goosey. And now um, I think now stopping this college football season, at least for the Big Ten, is probably a real possibility. Yeah, you can you can definitely sense the apprehension from Kevin Warren, the new commissioner, about about this, about making a, a decision and specifically a decision to move forward. I, I kind of felt like um, you know if if it was a play on type scenario, we probably would have heard something um, by now. Uh, but instead, it's just the, the the waiting game seems it's telling. I mean, it's it's like sitting at the poker table and being able to see somebody's cards, you know, without without them saying anything. You you can you can tell the apprehension. And there's a lot of situations in this league so far that that have led to this point. I mean, you think about schools like Indiana and Michigan State and, and um, obviously Rutgers and Northwestern and Ohio State, all schools that are – Iowa, all schools that have had to pause the workouts due to testing. Um, the mother of the Indiana football player put something out earlier this week that dumped a little gas on the fire. And then, you know, Rutgers doing what Rutgers does, they pour kerosene on top of a of an inferno already. And, and that seems to be, uh, you know, just kind of brewing and brewing and brewing into the mind of the commissioner. And, you know, releasing a schedule uh, seems minute compared to figuring out uh, what's the best course of action. So I, it's, it's all coming together. It's making sense. And, um, I mean, I'm getting the sense from the commissioner. I don't know if you are too, Greg, based on the limited quotes that we get from him that, uh, it seems like his hands on the on the extension cord, and he's ready to yank it out of the wall. Yeah, that, I get that same feeling. And, and talking to some Nebraska officials, they are very frustrated because Nebraska officials feel like they've got the protocols in place to make this work here, and now they're getting vibes from around the league. This isn't going to work, and so there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of frustration right now in North Stadium. Because Nebraska feels like again they they can get make this thing work. They're not sensing that throughout the conference right now, and I think there is a bit of a fracture within the Big Ten right now. Some schools saying we we can do this. We we're going to have to accept some positive tests to make this thing work. And you have other ones. And I'll tell you, we had a Hondo Carpenter from Spartan Nation last night covers Michigan State. I got the sense from him that the Michigan State's not all that interested in playing football this fall either. I, I mean. I don't know if this goes around the country. I don't know if the Big Ten lays out for a fall and the rest of the Big Five conferences, the other four, play. What's that going to do for the future of Big Ten football? I mean, these schools are going to get hammered 
on the recruiting trail from SEC schools, Big 12 schools, ACC schools going, oh, you sure you want to go there? Well, maybe they'll cancel it. Maybe there's going to be a handful of colds going on this year, and you're going to cancel it. I think it's really risky if the Big Ten steps away and the rest of the country plays football this fall. Well, and especially if if they play without a hitch. You know, it's one thing if the only the only way that this turns into a good thing for the Big Ten and Kevin Warren is if they decide to pull the plug, and then it just it's just a train wreck for college football, and then he can sit in his lazy boy saying, "See, I told you so." But if if they're able to get through even you know a five or six or a seven game schedule while all the Big Ten countries watch it on TV, I agree it's not necessarily a very good look. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of factors working against the Big Ten right now, and, and maybe the biggest of such is, and it's a point that I brought up last night, is that this is Kevin Warren's first go-round as a commissioner. I think, um, you know, again, it's when, you, when you're in a position like that, or a position of a of, of public perception, whatever it is, uh, doesn't matter. You know, the, your first year on the job, first couple months on the job, uh, hearing criticism is not something that is uh, goes by the wayside. You can't just put that put that away when you're new on the job. And I think, you know, Kevin Warren is is hearing a lot of of one side of the story and. And, and, and one thing that, that it's – I mean, there's not a decision that's going to make everybody happy, whether it's pro or against uh, a season. There, there are going to be upset people. So I think that's important to, to recognize, too, if you're the commissioner. If you're doing this just because people are telling you not to, there are a lot of people that are wanting this thing to happen that, that are going to have those same feelings towards you. But I think he is so uh, – nervous about making the right decision because this is unprecedented as it is for a lot of different things not just college football or a specific conference in college athletics there are a lot of people that i'm sure uh, have positions around the country that are supposed to are in charge of making these big decisions but you know he i I can definitely sense how this whole situation as it should is making him wildly uncomfortable and you can tell he's not confident in his thought process right now no, I totally agree with that. Wyatt in Alma has taken advantage of our U.S. cellular text line. He says, will Nebraska be able to schedule regional teams if the Big Ten pulls back like some Big 12 teams? Could this lead to teams leaving the conference? I don't think so. I think you once you join a league, you follow that league's protocols. I, and, I, and we've had some other people that texted this same thing yesterday to us as well. I don't see how that works. I, I don't see the Big Ten saying, yeah, go be an independent for a year. I, I just don't I, – I don't think that happens. No, I mean, especially when – I mean, we're not expecting this to bleed over into another football season. The TV money in the Big Ten is is too hard to pass up. So it there, there's, not a, there's not a team in this league that's willing to, you know, float out on, the, on a different branch of a tree for a year – with risking not coming back to the Big Ten when their pocketbooks hopefully uh, are, are back filled up with, with TV money with the Big Ten next year. Ryan and Nashville had the same thought on our text line again. Our text line, 531-500-4686. It's brand new. We put it in place about a week ago. It also serves as our call-in number on our Woodhouse Auto Family hotline. Again, it's 531-500-4686. If you want to send us a text test text to see if you've got it locked into your phone our guys will be glad to answer you right back on that as well so we'll continue to monitor we do anticipate some kind of schedule being put out tomorrow uh but talking to a lot of people today and i was on the phone a lot this afternoon that's what i'm hearing is that the commissioner is is getting goosey on this thing, and Nebraska officials are not happy about where they think this thing may be headed uh, for the fall. Woke up this morning, and the news of Rashad Bateman opting out of his of this fall football season for the Minnesota Gophers, one of the not only the conference but one of the better wide receivers in the country. Ben, he's just going to start putting his work in to get ready for for next spring's NFL draft. He definitely is an NFL player, at least in my eyes, and certainly changes the Gophers if they do play football this year because they did lose uh, the other wide receiver in Johnson. So that would be two of those three really good wide receivers would be gone from P.J. Flex program. What would you make of Bateman's announcement? And then it was accompanied by a full-blown video that he put together. Yeah, obviously had some time on his hands to put something like that together. I think it's a huge loss for Minnesota. I, I really do. I, 
I mean, between Johnson and Bateman, I think Bateman's head and shoulders uh, a, a better player, you know, more electrifying, probably projects better at the next level just because of his speed. Um, that's not to take anything away from Johnson either. Johnson's a very good player. Um, to kind of give you a sense of of how good he was, I asked a Husker defensive back before last year who was the best wide receiver that he's played in his long career and you think about all the great wide receivers that Nebraska's played against with Chenault, obviously Bateman and Johnson, uh, any of the Ohio State guys, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill. You know, there's been a lot of them from Ohio State. Michigan with Donovan Peoples-Jones and, and Nico Collins. I mean, there, there's been some really good receivers that Nebraska's had to play against. And, and the best one that, that I was told, and this even goes back to when Nebraska played Tennessee in the bowl game was Rashad Bateman and I was a little surprised to hear that but uh, I think there are a handful of of other corners around the league that would tell you the same thing Uh, that was a huge get for PJ Fleck four star from the state of Georgia that's not an area that Minnesota recruits uh, overly well or or very popular but man to go through and uh, and get that get that done for PJ Fleck obviously you saw the the fruits of that labor you know the years that Bateman was here and instead, uh, you know, he's going to go pro. And I think after the NFL draft, Mel Kuyper threw something together for, you know, a way too early mock draft next year. Rashad Bateman was like number nine overall. I mean, he was a projected top ten pick in the NFL draft. So I can't say it's overly surprising. Really good player. Unfortunately, we've already graded out the wide receivers. We may have to go back and submit a separate ballot for our overall look at the position breakdowns because wide receivers we did about a week ago, and obviously that changes where we would have put Minnesota not having Bateman. Ottman Bell is the third leg of that uh, that is still there, but with Johnson and Bateman now gone, that wide receiving core Minneapolis for the Gophers looks much different. So that uh, popped out today, and he's not the last. There's going to be more guys that opt out of this college football season if it does take place here in a month or so let's head to the phones let's uh go to battle creek and justin hello justin you're uh oh no i guess justin drop let's go to grand Island and chris hey chris welcome to sports nightly hi greg how are you this evening good thanks um my question is is with all the cases and stuff for this COVID that's going on up in Rutgers and all the other all over the country and with the Big Ten haven't released the schedule yet for his football season, if the trying to word this correctly as I can, um, can there a possible way that some schools decide, hey, we want to play, we want to schedule like seven, eight, nine league games, while say for instance Rutgers decide, hey, we're not going to play this year. You might think that's a possibility. My guess is it's not. I think the league is going to take this. It's we're either all in or we're not. We're all in or we're all out. I think the I don't. To me, it would make some sense to do what you said. If you've got seven or eight programs that feel like they've got it under control and can play each other, why not play some games? But my guess is because it's a conference, because it's a league, they're gonna they're not gonna go down that path. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think it's it's a good thought. I think there are a lot of people that would probably root for that, but I I, I would agree. I think it's a it's it's an all all for one type of thing, and especially when it's the commissioner making the making the decision, he's not looking out for. I think that's a bad precedent to set. You know, if you're saying okay, you know, these the, these schools can play, these schools have said not to play. I I mean, in terms of conference unity, I I think you're. You, you know, you're going to be stepping on some toes there, which is not something that you want to do. I mean, it's one thing to, to upset fans and people, but it's another thing to upset, you know, the the uh, the athletic directors that you're going to be working with and meeting with all year long. I, I just can't see it happening. Chris, appreciate the call. Justin is back now. Justin in Battle Creek. Hey, Justin, you're up on Sports Nightly. Hey, how you doing? Good, Justin. How you doing, man? I just wonder, I, I just don't understand why, like, uh, they don't want to follow the divisional games because if you if you play your six divisional games and let's say you shoot for uh, getting let's say you shoot for getting ten games in twelve weeks you have two bye weeks well if you start realizing things aren't going well halfway through the season well then you can cut back and say fine we'll just do divisional games let's try to get six games in this year we'll take the two divisional winners and maybe play a, a championship game in December I think that gives you so much more flexibility and also I've been hearing rumors floating around. I know I haven't seen the schedule yet, but 
of us going out to Rutgers game one. Well, I don't understand what the point of us going halfway across the country uh, to play a game that's not a divisional game. So I guess I don't understand what the thinking is between not front-loading the divisional games or even saying flat out we're just going to play the, those six games this year and, and hope for a championship game and, and wherever you know wherever everything else falls with us. So just wondering you guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, good points, Justin. I I, I I think there's a lot of thought behind what you said. And I think, Greg, there is something to be said about that. Now, our case in Nebraska is a little bit different because our geography isn't necessarily conducive like a lot of other campuses are. But, I mean, maybe that would be a good way to break it in. You start with the, the games that you could bus. You eliminate the air travel. Um, but then again, they charter flights anyway, so it's the same group of, of people that you're traveling with, maybe less people involved with buses. I'm not exactly sure. That would be a good question for an ops person. What, what would be the difference between busing and flying? But, um, I mean, those parties are, are typically pr- pretty well set in stone. Now, that, that does, you know, you, you can, you know, shrink that down, I'm sure, with, with buses, but you know, I think there there is if if that's something that you are that is a factor in the eyes of the commissioner is the travel aspect of it. It would make sense to to say your division first because you know a lot of those schools are a lot closer together than. I mean, it, you couldn't even get farther apart than Nebraska and Rutgers. But even just thinking about you know Wisconsin or going to Penn State or whatever it is, there's a lot of distance, a lot of ground to cover there. The whole distance thing hasn't made a ton of sense to me. Why that's a big deal? I mean, if you're chartering to, let's say Nebraska's chartering to Purdue, and I know Purdue's supposed to come here, but let's just roll with me on this. If they're supposed to charter to Purdue, what's the difference in just staying in the air another 45 minutes and going to Penn State? I mean, really, is it that big a difference? I mean, it really isn't. You're still going to get off a plane, get on a bus, get on a bus, go to a hotel, on yeah. a bus, go to the stadium. It's all basically the same. And, and your point, too, if you're, if you're busing, you're still in a pretty confined space for hours, several hours. So I, the whole thing about the distance really never I, – I don't really get, other than just a little bit longer plane ride, uh, I, don't, I don't really get that. But it's a good thought. I, again, I, I think it, it's frustrating, and I know Nebraska uh, – folks, I'm just telling – I'm here to tell you that Nebraska officials are frustrating because they believe they can make this thing work. But I don't know if that's, that feeling's being shared throughout the conference. So – We'll just have to hang on and see what ends up happening. The Board of Governors meeting, I think it's come and gone, Ben, today, and I don't, I don't think they decided anything. They're, I guess there's going to be an, an announcement tomorrow about FCS and whether they're going to have playoffs or not this year. But unless I missed it, I haven't seen anything on the Board of Governors putting out a statement today. I, I haven't either. I mean, it just seems like these these dates, these meetings, these conversations, these expected results, it just nothing seems to be happening. And... and uh, I'm frustrated. You're frustrated. I know the fans obviously are frustrated based on the ones that we've heard so far tonight are frustrated. But imagine how the coaches feel, uh, you know, waking up every day and it just just absolutely no direction anyway. And especially if your school like Nebraska, who is trying to forge on, trying to find a way to make this thing happen. Now, if you're one of those schools that are sitting back and hoping this thing is just punted in the air, then you're fine with this. But if you're if you're a school like Nebraska and you're pushing for this to happen, just imagine the frustration of the people that this is directly affecting what work they put together every single day. Yeah, no doubt. Tonight on Sports Nightly, it's the Husker football position breakdowns. Good snap back to Isaac. Hammers one away. Boy, he gets that one to turn over. Tucker drifting back, makes a catch of the 19. Racing to the near side and gets blown up at the 20-yard line. Oh, my goodness. What a hit by Eli Sullivan for Nebraska. He just bombarded the, the returner that time. It's a 50-yard punt. Tonight. Snap down. The kick is up, and the kick is good. Here's Lane. Huskers win it 13-10. And tonight we focus in on special teams. I sat down with the head coach a few weeks ago to talk about a number of topics, and special teams was one of them. And our first asking about what steps he's taken in the offseason to try to get special teams better than they were last year. Yeah, usually uh, close games come down to, like you said, a play or two. Uh, it's usually turnovers in special teams. We certainly have put a lot of focus this offseason on improving those two things. and. I like where we are. You know, it, when it when you have that many close games, usually good teams find a way to win those, and teams that aren't ready to win yet don't find a way to win those. And uh, you know, if we could have won 
two or three more of those close games this through this time, our, our record would have been a lot better. And but we need to look forward and not backwards and make sure that that we uh, remedy those things going forward. How damaging was special teams in your eyes to the 2019 season? I think I think Greg, arguably the two biggest plays of the season, other than the Iowa field goal. Well, I'll, I'll throw the Colorado flea flicker in there. The, the, the most damaging of the season were the Iowa kickoff return for a touchdown and the Wisconsin kickoff return for a touchdown. I mean, those those plays both just ripped your hearts out and threw them on the ground after you know what we thought were momentum plays for the Big Red on offense uh, to get points. That Wisconsin game, Nebraska was just slicing and dicing them up the field, scored the touchdown, and you know the snap of a finger. Crookshank takes that to the house, and then, you know, Nebraska wasn't getting anything going offensively against Iowa. They finally get points, and their defense was doing a good job holding down Iowa for the most part. And in the snap of a finger, Smith Marset goes untouched. I mean, those that just can't happen. And, and unfortunately, they did and put Nebraska in some really bad situations. But more importantly, we know how important momentum is in football, especially with a team that's fragile mentally when it comes to, to losing football plays. Just you can't do that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, they did it too many times. Everybody thinks about the big kick returns and because those are the immediate impacts and points. But the hidden yards lost by Nebraska, the, the poor punts, the shanked punts, uh, giving up, you know, if you traded not being able to team. get the kick to the ten yard line. I mean, Correct. how many? We we probably I don't even know without looking it up, but I we had to be the bottom five in the nation in kickoff touchbacks. Yep. I mean, it was brutal. Where the other team starting drives at the thirty yard line and plus, where Nebraska starting to drives and maybe they're twenty five or maybe they try to return one and get tackled at the seventeen. The inability to make many field goals, Nebraska because of the injury to Pickering early in the year threw that game off a lot. So the kick returns, yeah, were huge, but the hidden yards within the game, I think, cost Nebraska one, two, maybe three games last year. All in toll. We've talked to a handful of the coaches about all the depth that they're starting to get in certain spots and how can that depth maybe help special teams. I asked the head coach that very same question. Yeah, you know, special teams uh, has, has been something that we've needed to improve. I think just having some specialists that can do a better job with that will will help. Also, just having more athletes to cover kicks and run down on punts uh, as we continue to to build the roster uh, it, it should get better naturally because of uh, added talent when you sit there and you watch ohio state or any of the top-notch programs a lot of their guys that aren't on their number one defense or offense are out there covering kicks and they look like legitimate athletes nebraska for the most part hasn't been able to do that really the last couple of years you see it firsthand being down there on the sidelines yeah, it's 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 crazy. You know, it is absolutely crazy sometimes to look out there uh, and see those units going against each other. When you when you're bigger, stronger, and faster than in seven or eight spots, it it makes the world a difference. And and I think the biggest thing, Greg, that I'm I'm kind of waiting for with with the special teams and and it's the attitude that that needed to have that carryover. I I remember talking with Trey Neal, who uh, Husker fans remember came over from Central Florida. And we were in the, our booth one day, and we were just kind of talking. And I was just picking his brain about, you know, what what changed from UCF, uh, you know, from being that losing team to the winning team. And the first thing that Trey said was, you know, you think it would be athletes, you think it'd be quarterbacks, you think it'd be wide receivers, you think it'd be scheme. He goes, it was special teams, and that was the attitude that we carried with us. We embraced it. We loved it. We we knew we could change games. And the special teams department, he goes, you know, everyone wanted to talk about Mackenzie Milton or or Otis Anderson or um, or Shaquem Griffin. You know, they wanted to talk about those types of players when, honestly, it was the special teams that won them a lot of those games and put their 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 team in good positions. And I, I was thinking, I was I thought about that what Trey said a lot last year. Obviously, Trey wasn't with us last year, but that's you need to have that that attitude with all eleven that line up on special teams. I mean, Stovall was probably the one that that possessed that the most. But you need you need athletes that, and this isn't a knock on Stovall, but you, you need athletes that are out there that that can hang with those athletes from Ohio State. And I think you know 
we had a couple of those guys that possess that that whole line, but you need all 11 guys out there that, that are buying into what you're doing. If not, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Yeah. I miss our booth, by the way. You mentioned being yeah. in our booth. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I miss I miss because we didn't we weren't up there in the spring at all. It's been, been a crazy. long time. Sure has. All right. Um, Nebraska has brought in a lot of kickers, some junior college, high school, four year transfers. Same thing on the punting. A young man from Australia is going to be here for the, the punt. So a lot of new names for Nebraska fans to try to learn and this coaching staff try to figure out who's going to rise to the top and be the number one kicker, be the number one punter. I asked the head coach about all these different names. Well, first and foremost, I hope there's fewer names that you have to look look forward in the kicking game. We we had to set a national record last year <laughs> with seven guys uh, scoring in the kicking game. Connor Culp's coming to us as a grad transfer. He's going to have a chance, and there's several guys that are going to be competing with him. And then we have a Daniel Australian punter coming in, along with uh, Krista uh, to compete at punter and. Um, you, we lost so much hidden yardage last year in, in special teams and in, in the kicking game. And uh, just reversing that, I think, will be enough to get us over the hump in some of those close games. All right, there's the coach going over a couple of the names that, that could rise to the top and be the kickers for this team in 2020. We think them up. We count them down. It's Top Ten Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Well, with um, perhaps football practice starting on Friday, we thought we would go through our list of the top ten most valuable Huskers. Um, What's the other word I'm looking for? Important. Important Huskers for this upcoming football season. And um, I'll tell you guys right now, I split mine right down the middle. Five offense five defense did anybody else do something similar to that or did you just randomly grab um let's see one two three four (laughs) i'm four and six four offense six defense okay austin how close are you to a 50 50 split i am a 30 60 10 split okay say that again 30 60 10 three sides of the ball that's a good point. I, I guess I'm kind of that way, too, a little bit more than I thought. So, All right. So, Austin, since you threw me the curve, you get to lead us off. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Well, I'll start in the defensive backfield uh, with a DB, literally DB. DiCaprio Boodle is at number 10 for me. He's been really solid at Nebraska. He's been good, but he needs to be able to step up and replace Lamar Jackson. Decap needs to get his hands on a few more balls and create more turnovers, and that's really the hardest step. You know, he's good. He's a good cornerback. I think it's important for him to take that leap from good to great and really help Nebraska create turnovers this year, and he's my number 10 most important player. All right, very good. My number 10 is a defensive player, JoJo Dolman, who has shown us flashes throughout his Husker career, but this is the last go-around for him. He's a guy that can be disruptive. He's one that can get to the quarterback. Nebraska needs him to be a factor. He needs to be a guy that the offensive line is always looking for pre-snap to where he is and where he's lining up. He can be that disruptive. He needs to be that way. He also needs to stay healthy. So JoJo Doman, Ben, makes my list at number 10. Not the last we'll hear of the Dominator, but for right now, we'll move on. My number 10, and I cannot believe he's number 10. I I have him at 10. I really tried my best to move him up, but, I mean, he could be number one. This could this guy could be could be number one. Caleb Tanner. Caleb Tanner, It it's time to go. Uh, th- yep. it, I mean, I haven't been as excited as I was for a recruit to commit. Uh, uh, Wandale, I was pretty pumped, but... When Caleb Tanner committed over all those SEC schools, I think I might have even called you and said, this is the guy. I mean, this is the guy that we've needed to go pluck from SEC country that could be an NFL draft pick. And we've seen very sparse flashes. I mean, not, I wouldn't even say we've seen a lot of flashes. There's been a handful of plays here and there that you can handpick and go, this is the guy that we needed you to be. Uh, but other than that, it, it, it just hasn't been there. That light needs to come on. With the openings at outside linebacker, now's the time for Caleb Tanner to prove to all of us the player and the caliber of player that he could be. Very good. Absolutely. 
All right, number nine for me, I, I doubled up on the defensive backfield here. I've got T Cam Taylor Britt at number nine. You know, he's a guy I think Nebraska really needs to stay healthy and make plays over the middle. Extremely versatile. He can play safety. He can play corner. He can play in the middle. He's another guy I think that we've seen flashes of, especially as a young kid. He's got to step up and make plays, create turnovers for this team. And he's well-respected. He's a leader. I think his voice is going to be very influential in kind of creating that mentality uh, that Nebraska is looking for on defense and special teams like you guys were talking about in the first hour. Got to be a captain, right? Yeah, I mean, he's got to be. Yes. Uh, they haven't announced those yet, but you just, I mean, he's got it. He's going to be wearing the C, if not this year, next year for Cam Taylor Britt. All right, my number nine, I'm going offense here, and here's where I've got Diedrich Mills. Uh, I think he has a chance to be a 1,000-yard back for the Huskers. I think there's some help around him that will develop as the year goes along. But starting off, he's the, the proven commodity back there. I, I really saw incredible growth in his game. I thought when we had Ryan held on a few weeks ago, he made a great point about this was just a different kind of an offense for Mills. And it took him a while to kind of realize where the holes were, where to be patient, when to hit it hard. And once he kind of figured all that out, he became a really quality back in this lead. So Diedrich makes my list at number nine. If we had put this list together two weeks ago, my number nine would not have been on here. But thanks to social media, he has leapt his way onto my list. I've got Ty Robinson here at number nine. I don't know that it was necessarily fair to put him on this list before I saw him throw that weight around like it looked like uh, pillows. But now it's fair to slap some expectation on him, I think, just by the way that he looks. I don't know if I'm reading too much in to the limited tape that we have on Ty Robinson, but he looked like he could handle himself against Wisconsin. Again, high-profile recruit. Nebraska was able to, to, to wrestle him away from some high-profile schools. And this isn't the only time I'm going to say this, but there are some openings and jobs to be had on that defensive line. And I think it's very important for a guy like Ty Robinson and even another guy I'm going to mention later that they come in and they take some of these spots and they prove that they can play at this level and play well at this level and handle some of those offensive lines that Nebraska will play against. So I've got Ty Robinson at number nine. I just remember looking out there at the Wisconsin game last year and he was holding his own. And if you can hold your own against that big bully group and you get yourself in the weight room for six, eight more months, you're going to be ready to roll. Hope so. Absolutely. One guy who should be ready to roll on that defensive line is my number eight, Ben Stilley. He's a guy that, and again, he's been around the block. We've had tape on him. We've seen flashes. We need to see more. Another guy that seems pretty well-respected, uh, great dude around the clubhouse. But he's a guy Nebraska really needs to step up, uh, losing Daniels in the middle, the Davis twins. They're, they're missing a lot on that defensive line. Ben Stilley, we think, has the talent to step up and do it, but he's got to prove it this year. All right, here's my special teamer. I've got Connor Culp, and so I guess I'm – projecting that he's going to be the place kicker for Nebraska. Um, obviously, Nebraska needs a steadying force. We've been so spoiled down through the years with guys like Alex Henry, the Brown brothers, um, and Brett Maher. Uh, and I'm not saying Culp's going to be in that, but just be consistent. Be, be solid. Make those 40 and in kicks for Nebraska and get points on the board and be automatic on point after tries. That would go a long way in helping his team. So I've got Connor Culp the LSU transfer, the kicker at number eight. Awesome. All right, my number eight is a young man that we heard in the open, and or I think Greg actually had him at number 10. I've got JoJo Doman here at number eight. JoJo is a playmaker. I mean, this is a guy that Nebraska needs on the defense. He's not the the biggest outside linebacker. He's, he's just a football player. And, and when, I, when I think of most important Huskers, I think – JoJo is one of the first guys I think of, and he needs to stay healthy. I mean, we, there's no doubt what he can do on the field when he's healthy, but what, he needs to stay healthy. He, Nebraska needs him on the field, especially this year. And when they do, they're a significantly better unit. He's made some huge plays, some game-changing plays when he's been out there. And I love his passion. I love the way that he plays. He's always around the football. I've got JoJo at number eight. 
All right, number seven for me, again, I'm sticking with the same position as Ben, so we'll kind of double up here. Uh, but I move inside the linebacking core, Will Honus. He's been solid since he's been here, but now he has to replace what Mo Berry brought to the team. You know, replacing the production is one thing, but you know, how is he going to be able to replace the leadership that Mo Berry brought? Can he be a stabilizing presence in the middle of that defense? His saving grace is that he's got some experienced guys and the safeties behind him, but I think Will Honus in the middle has to be a, a key part for... Nebraska and stopping the really good rushing attacks they're going to face this year. Very good. All right, my number seven, Austin had earlier, and this is where I've got DiCaprio Boodle. Can be a leader, can be a guy that you know is going to give you great effort week in and week out, needs to kind of continue to play that way for this team. So DiCaprio makes my list at number seven. All right, my number seven, Austin had at nine. I've got Cam Taylor Britt here with the loss of Lamar Jackson, that Nebraska needs him out there. That, that lingering shoulder – We've had a couple of those in recent years. Aaron Williams a few years ago had that, that stinger. Every time he made a hit, you just you cringed because you knew how much pain he was in. It was the same situation for Cam last year. Every time he made a hit, that shoulder was just dragging. And Nebraska had terrible luck with, with shoulders in the secondary last year with Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor Britt. But they need him healthy. Austin, you said he needs to be a – uh, a guy that, that turns the ball over. He was among the nation's leaders in forced fumbles last year. He had the game-changing play against Colorado on the kickoff last year when Chenault got to the 50-yard line, ripped the ball away, had the pick six against Iowa. Nebraska needs him healthy. They need him on the field. That they do. I will round out the back half of my top ten on the offensive side of the ball, my first offensive entry, Matt Farniok. Their guy, he played outside on tackle. They're moving him inside here. I think how he adjusts to playing inside where Greg Austin thinks he's a better fit will mean a lot for this team. How do they run the ball? How do they protect whoever's at quarterback? It'll help Cam Jurgens keep getting acclimated and take a little bit of pressure off Brendan Hymas. So Matt Farniak and his adjustment and what that means for the rest of the offensive line is a big deal for me. That's why he's at number six. Yep, good call. I'm offensive line as well at my six, but I go Brendan Hymas. That left tackle position is so important. you got to keep Adrian clean. It's also a big year for Brendan. I know he has high aspirations to be a, an NFL draft pick. I think he can be. I think he can play in the league. He needs to have a good senior season to keep that momentum going for his own career and helping this Husker team out. So I've got Hymas at six. All right, let's make it three for three on the offensive line here at number six, but three different players. I've got the youngster. I've got Bryce Benhart yeah. in here at number six. And the only reason I have him is because he's what's going to take Nebraska from a good offensive line to a great offensive line. Can he be that X factor? Can he allow Farniok to come in and slide inside? Because Nebraska would be a better starting five up front with him at guard, and it's up to Bryce Benhart to make this thing work. Uh, obviously, his size is there. Can he, can, he, can he give it a go, and can he be the starting right tackle of the future? And much like Hymas and Farniak have been their whole careers, um, he's kind of leading that charge of that next group of O-linemen that have so much talent. And if he can slide in there and do it in year two, it's going to give those young guys a lot of confidence. Speaking of a young guy with some confidence, number five for me, Braxton Clark. If he can become really a shutdown corner, that frees his safeties up to go make some more plays, and it keeps Cam Taylor Britt away from cornerback and letting him be versatile in the middle of the field. So I think Braxton Clark is a name that we've seen. He's been on the field. He's been solid. He needs to continue to be solid to good, and I think that makes the rest of the Nebraska secondary that much better. Ben, what did you make of Braxton's appearances last year? I really like him. I love the way that he handles himself. First of all, he's a, he's a happy guy. I think he's got a great attitude. Um, he's a huge body. I mean, 6'4", he's got the hair, he's got the athleticism. I, he had a pick last year. I thought he handled himself pretty well. I think I need to see more of him in the tackling game, but I think he's going to be solid. He's going to be fine in the cover game. Uh, yeah, I like him, and I, I'm eager to see what he can do with, uh, with, all, with all the reps that he can get out there. But it's hard to ignore that size, 6'4", lanky. I mean, you can, you can add some cover skills to that. You're going to make a lot of money in the league. I remember he started at Purdue. I don't know if he made another start last year, but he handled himself really well that day. It didn't seem like it was too big for him when he got his opportunity out there. All right, my number five, Austin had earlier. I've got Ben Stilley here. Ben had a really good final couple of games of the 19 season, and I think it's, it's there. It, he can be an, a disruptive guy up front for Nebraska. Now he's going to be a starter for this team. He's not playing behind the Davises. He's going to get that first line of defense, and I think he'll step up to it being a senior year, final year at Nebraska. So I, I look for big things that have been stilly. I've got him at five. 
Greg, I aligned with you here. Uh, I was alluding to this guy earlier when I was talking about Ty Robinson. He's the one that has to take this room over. He absolutely has to take it. There are so many departures in that room. And the thing about Ben now is we have to go from Ben Stilley being a great story, right, the the, the, the small-town, classy football player who added all the way. He's He can't be a great story anymore. He has to be a great football player. He has to be a great black shirt. We, we, we have to kind of change our mindset and our expectation with Ben Stilley, and he's more than capable of doing that. He's transformed his body, has a lot of experience. He has to be a rock for this group up front, and I think he's capable of doing it. So I've got Stilley at five as well. Number four for me is a guy that we haven't seen at Nebraska. He's a newcomer, but I think he's, at least in my estimation, the the most important newcomer on the offensive side of the ball. I've got Omar Manning, the wide receiver out here at number four. If he can click with the quarterback, if he can provide that big 6'4", 230-pound frame on the outside, that completely changes the dynamic of the Nebraska offense. We're so used to smaller guys and kind of scat guys running over the middle of the field. If Omar Manning can develop into a consistent you know, third down, red zone type of target. That opens so many things up for Nebraska. It helps the offense run that much smoother. We had Matt Lubick on, I think it was a week ago, mm-hmm. and I tried a couple different times to get him to talk more about Omar Manning. He didn't do it. That's fine. That's okay. I think a lot of times we build guys up way too much before they've step, stepped on a football field. I'm okay with kind of the slow break on that from the coaches. Let's let's see what he can do. But, man, that tape is exciting to watch from his junior college days. I have a wide receiver as well at number four, but I've got Wandale here, and I think he's only going to be a wide receiver. We talked to Ryan Held a few weeks back, and he's just basically kind of saying, yeah, don't know how much we'll have Wandale. Maybe every now and then he might line up back there. And I think that's smart. He's so valuable to this team out on the edge. With J.D. gone, it opens up that part of the offense for him to completely dominate. He can do that he's a good kid a good leader on this football team as well i expect big things out of wandale uh, for his sophomore season that's why i have him at number four my last four all offensive guys i've talked a ton of defense so far but here's here's my string of offense and three for three on wide receivers but this time i align with austin for the same reasons omar at four got to come in and produce right away i mean this this needs to be a 700 yard at minimum guy we need six to seven touchdowns out of him if nebraska's offense is going to operate at the level that it expects to it's hard to imagine it doing so without omar manning wildly unfair considering he's never put on a husker uniform but that's how badly he needed him and that's probably why he ended up a husker because that's the recruiting pitch that the, that the coaches gave him we need you here in lincoln and i think he embraces that that expectation so i've got omar at four Speaking of a need for Nebraska, it was the focus of the first hour. Uh, Greg, you named it Connor Culp. I'm keeping it more general. I'm just going with the kicker. Pick one. (laughs) Whoever it is, the kicker needs to step up. Put the ball through the uprights. Put the ball over the back line. Force touchbacks. Don't leave points on the field. Whoever it is, just stabilize the position like you were saying, Greg. It's, It's super important. It shouldn't be a big worry. Normally, it is for Nebraska. Whoever the kicker turns out to be needs to be steady this year. I think it's going to be multiple people. I think Chase Contreras, the junior college young man, could be the kickoff guy. He's got a huge leg, and I could see Colt doing the P18 field goal. So it may be two different guys, so you're probably smart just kind of doing a, a combo there. I just went by the rules of the game, Austin, and, and actually named <laughs> there we the guy. Go. But, but named again. I just can't help myself. I just cheat to get 11 in without saying 11 names. So. All right, my number three, I'm going defense here, and this is a guy that I think we missed greatly last year, and that's Deontay Williams. Got hurt in the opener against South Alabama. I think he is a he's a man back there, and I think he brings the wood. He brings a little intimidation from that secondary spot. I also think he totally knows what he's doing back there in Nebraska. Missed all of that last year and had to really shuffle, shuffle the deck to make Make that work. I think it's going to be great to have Deontay back. I've got him in there at number three for me. So glad you put him on. He was a tough cut for me, but he's the guy that, you know, you're having a drowsy day as a reporter or somebody that covers the team and and you want to get pumped up or you want to, you want a good quote, you go talk to Deontay Williams because he doesn't really have a filter. He kind of just says whatever's on his mind. That could get him in some trouble sometimes, but... <laughs> but he, oh, he, I mean, he's one of those guys that will get you running through a brick wall, that's for sure. And I think he plays that way, too. You have to 
to have that reputation at his size um, to have that reputation. My number three, just in terms of pure importance, because I'm not sure what we have behind him. Greg, you had him at nine. I've got Dedrick Mills here at number three just because we've got to break this streak of running backs that start the year as a starter and are off the team by week three or four. I mean, <laughs> we've got to get rid of this. With somehow, some way, this needs to be the end of that. And so I'm hoping Dedrick Mills can live up to what he was a year ago, take that next step, be that 1,000-yard rusher, because if he goes down, I know you could put Wandale back there. I know there's some other guys that you could slide in there, but there's a drop-off after Mills from what we're expecting. So Dedrick, number three for me. Dedrick, a tough cut for me, but I'll stick in, in the offensive backfield. My number two, where's number two? I've got Adrian Martinez here, the presumptive starter. He's a junior. He really needs to take control of that room and put away the questions. You know, don't leave any doubt that this is my room. I'm the guy. He was close on a lot of plays last year. Being nicked up probably didn't help that. Having an older offensive line and improved wide receiver room could help him a lot. Adrian Martinez needs to get back to being Adrian Martinez. That goes a long way in determining what Nebraska's ceiling is this year. Okay, uh, my number two, uh, I, I told everybody that I'm, I'm glad they're pumping the brakes. I'm not. I've got Omar Manning at number two for me. I just think Nebraska needs a a player that changes the game, and Omar looks like he could be that guy for Nebraska and the perfect complement to Wandale on the other side or if you line him up on the same side of the field. It's, it's a... It's a position Nebraska really hasn't had a guy that looks like that probably since Quincy that was a bigger, taller wide receiver. And I'm not even sure Quincy's all that tall, but I I think this is an NFL caliber player. If he plays toward that level, Nebraska's offense could really hum. So I've got Omar Manning at two. Greg, we swap our four and two. I've got Wandale here at two just because we've seen him do it. We're expecting him to take the next step. I think him just playing wide receiver and taking the snaps of J.D. Spielman is going to improve his game that much more. The only reason I have him ahead of Omar is because I've seen him do it, and I know how important he is to Nebraska's offense. So I've got Wandale too. All right, capping off my list here is a guy you guys had earlier on your lists. I've got JoJo Doman at number one. Now, The outside linebacker position is extremely vital to the success of this defense. Ben, you mentioned Shaquem Griffin in year one. Think about how big a playmaker he was for Central Florida. Those outside guys mean everything. JoJo Doman has a skill set that's different than Caleb Tanner, that's different than Garrett Nelson. If he stays healthy, the Nebraska defense is going to look so much better. If they can get JoJo Doman for 10 games, that means so much for this team given his abilities he changes that defense. He really does. Nebraska doesn't really have anyone his size that does what he does on that side of the defense. And maybe if JoJo Doman is successful, if he's really good, that's a guy you can point to in recruiting say, hey, look at this. You can be this. This is what we envision for you. Nebraska needs someone to start a tradition of you know, having success at outside linebacker position. I think it's got to start with JoJo Doman this year. Okay. I took the easy way out. I've got Adrian Martinez at one. I just think he's going to have the football in his hands every snap. If Nebraska is going to be good, he needs to be really good. And we've seen that he can be. He needs to return to that level and play consistently week in and week out for Nebraska to have the kind of year we want them all to have. So I took the easier out, went with a quarterback, and Adrian Martinez. Adrian Martinez, he now knows what it's like to be a Nebraska quarterback by receiving a year of criticism after a year of, of good play. Uh, welcome to the fraternity. I think uh, he, he has heard more, more than anybody uh, people's opinions on him, not like anybody's opinions really matter, but I think Adrian Martinez is at his best when his back's against the wall. I've said that all year, and I'm expecting a, a better version of freshman Adrian Martinez this year or whenever it is that Nebraska's out there on the field. And Nebraska's success is going to be determined by how well he plays. Fair or not, that's just the way that it's going to be. Yep, no doubt. Austin, should we Twitter pull this? Absolutely, we should. You could do Adrian, JoJo, and then who would you? Yeah, well, put one down there. There you go. They put that up and then the other category as well. Look for that on our Twitter account at Husker Sports. It's the Sports Nightly Preseason Top 25 tonight. Down the 31-yard line, first down. Nick straight back. He's going to the end zone for Seth Williams. Did he catch it? He did! Touchdown Auburn! 32 yards! My goodness, what a catch by Seth Williams! Number 14. Auburn Tigers. And here to talk to us about the Tigers, the play-by-play voice of Auburn, Andy Bertram. And let, let's start with some changes on that staff for Gus Malzahn, new offensive coordinator, new offensive line coach, among other things. Tell me, take me through that process of making some of those changes in the offseason for the Tigers. 
Well, one of the things that, that Gus Malzahn likes to talk about is the, the continuity that he has on his staff. And although he has three new coaches on the staff, he likes the fact that the rest of the guys are back. Uh, but the three new guys that, that he has, one on defense is, is Al Polk, who was with uh, Auburn back in 2010 when Gus Malzahn was the offensive coordinator and Auburn won the national championship. And then two new guys on offense, um, Jack Bicknell Jr., who comes to Auburn from Ole Miss as the offensive line coach. And then Chad Morris comes to Auburn uh, after his time as the head coach at Arkansas, formerly the head coach at SMU, offensive coordinator at Clemson. And, and Gus and Chad have a relationship that extends back to when they were high school coaches, um, Chad down in Texas and Gus, of course, in Arkansas. That, that's when they met, and they have a pretty close relationship. They're, they're friends, uh, a very good working relationship, so much so that Gus Malzahn has turned the offense over to Chad Morris, and he's never done that uh, since the time that he has been a head coach at Auburn. There have been times where he's let his offensive coordinator call the plays, but it really has gone a step beyond that with Chad Morris kind of putting that offensive game plan together and calling plays. But let's be honest, it's still a Gus Malzahn offense, but, but he has released as much power on that offense to Chad Morris, more so than he's ever done with any of his offensive coordinators prior. Well, that's interesting. It also shows you how tight-knit that coaching fraternity is and how far back some of these guys go with each other. Andy, how big a job does Coach Bicknell have with that offensive line for 2020? Well, it's, it's one of the, the toughest jobs that, that any coach has on the Auburn staff simply because Auburn returns just one starter from an offensive line from a year ago, and that's Nick Brahms at center. Add to that fact that Auburn did not have a spring practice to kind of put that offensive line together. So whenever this practice begins, we learn the schedule and we, we learn of, of the new practice schedule, I've, I've got to think that the first thing that Auburn has to do is get that offensive line together, get it as cohesive as it can for what's expected to be the SEC and as far as Auburn is concerned, the season debut on September 26th. But to me, that without question, whether it's a new coach there or, or not, the biggest question mark on this team is an offensive line for Auburn this season. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Again, busy with Andy Birch on the play-by-play voice of the Auburn Tigers. We have Auburn at number 14 in our preseason top 25. Andy, we really enjoyed watching Bo Nix play last year. What a special athlete player in that program. Talk to me about him as a young man and, and a little bit about some of the weapons he'll have around him here this fall. Like his father, uh, Patrick, who was a, a, a quarterback for Auburn in the early 90s, he is a leader on this football team. And um, I, he did a great job, I thought, leading an offense as a true freshman a year ago. And there were times where he looked like a true freshman. And think about it, a true freshman at a Power 5 school in a conference as tough as the SEC, that, that's, a tough, that's a tough job to have. But it's one that he embraced. It's one that he stepped up to and was the SEC freshman of the year. And now he has to take the next step. He cannot sit back and, and, and rest on the laurels of what was a very good freshman season, a record-breaking freshman season at Auburn. But he has to become more consistent. He can't have those off games that he had a year ago. Now, his, his game against Alabama was terrific. Maybe the best game that he had all season long. No turnovers led that offense that day to a big victory against Auburn's arch rival. But he has to be a consistent quarterback. He has a new quarterback coach in Chad Morris. I don't think you can say it's a new offense because it's still Gus Malzahn's offense, although Chad Morris will be leading it. But he also deals with the fact that all those guys up front, other than Nick Brahms, his center, will be new on that offensive line. That's, that's the, the, the part – that is the biggest concern. Now, his skilled positions at wide receiver, this is as good a wide receiving core as Auburn has had in a number of years, and Auburn will be very strong in the, the backfield with Bo Nix, and I think we'll see Auburn use the tight end more as an offensive weapon, more so than just a blocking back that, that we've seen in the last couple of years. So that, that's what Bo Nix has in, in talking with Gus Malzahn. 
when you ask about the leadership on this team and, and Gus is just like many other coaches out there. I mean, leadership is very, very important. And the first guy that he talks about as, as a leader on that offense is a true sophomore who, who is Bo Nix, his starting quarterback going into the 2020 season. Andy, let's flip to defense. Kevin Steele, certainly a familiar name for Husker fans, runs that defense. It's traditionally a top 30-type defense. Enough guys back and enough talent there to continue that trend, do you think? Yeah, a year ago, uh, Auburn's strength was its defensive line. And two of those guys are now going to be playing on Sundays. And Derek Brown, who was a first-round draft pick, and Marlene Davidson, who was a second-round draft pick and then Auburn had a very very strong secondary year ago and had another first round draft pick back there in in Noah Igbenogany who was a former wide receiver that had moved to cornerback and was was drafted in in the first round of the of the the draft this past spring so Auburn has a lot to replace on the defense a year ago though Auburn's biggest question mark defensively was a linebacker it was young it was inexperienced Oddly enough, going into the 2020 season, without question, the strength is that linebacking core. Led by K.J. Britt, who was an all-SEC performer a year ago. Owen Papo, who was terrific as a freshman. Uh, Chandler Wooten, Zacoby McClain are guys that, that return at that linebacking core. And while Auburn has to replace a guy like a Derek Brown and a Marlon Davidson up front, it's not like the guys that, that played a year ago didn't get a lot of playing time. Rodney Garner, who's Auburn's defensive line coach, and I think one of the very best in the country, under Kevin Steele, who's the defensive coordinator. Rodney Garner uses a lot of guys on that defensive front. They, they play a lot. He uses a lot of depth, and he has a lot of depth coming back. It's just you've got to replace some marquee guys. Also, Auburn has to do some, some work in the secondary as well uh, with regard to, to its secondary. So there are some holes to be filled but I, they, they like the talent that they have. It's just when do they get out there and practice and start developing that a little bit more? And that's a question that we, we just don't have answered at this point. Andy, how anxious are the fans to just get their hands on that schedule and see what that 10-game schedule is going to look like? Well, as, as anxious as, as I am, because I want to know what that schedule looks like <laughs> right now. It, it, it's a tough – it was going to be a tough conference season for Auburn because Auburn plays – in the Western Division of the Southeastern Conference. And that, that includes the defending national champion, LSU, and then a team like Alabama that many are picking to, to contend for the national championship this year. And then you've got up-and-coming programs like Ole Miss and Mississippi State with brand-new coaching staffs, uh, Texas A&M uh, as well, and, and Arkansas will have a brand-new head coach. So, And then you, you get Georgia, and, and Georgia is always Auburn's Eastern Division foe. Now, who are the other teams that, that Auburn will face? We don't know at this point who, who, who those two teams from the Eastern Division that Auburn will face. But I, I think as, as anxious as fans are to see what that schedule is like, fans are also anxious to see what it's going to be like as far as how many folks can come to Jordan-Hare Stadium mm-hmm. and where will they be sitting at Jordan-Hare Stadium this, this year. There's a great deal of uncertainty here. I'm sure there's a great deal of uncertainty there in Lincoln as well as, you know, all of these questions that are still up in the air at this point. A lot more questions and answers, that's for sure. Well, Andy, we appreciate you We appreciate you supplying some answers about Auburn with us. Hopefully you're calling some football here by the end of September. Well, I can't wait. I, I, I certainly look forward to that, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin with you here on a Tuesday night. We talked earlier in the day about the Board of Governors met again this afternoon. Brett McMurphy has tweeted that that consists of representatives from Divisions 1, 2, and 3. They did not, did not vote on fall sports. They instead are going to let each division decide on how to proceed because of the drastic differences between the divisions. Makes perfect sense, and that was also... I think worrisome that the Power Five, if they didn't like this decision, might break away from the NCA. We talked about that ramification last night here in the program. So it goes back to what we said really at the beginning of the program, that really the cards are all in the hands of Commissioner Warren of the Big Ten. And that he's going to make the call here on whether the Big Ten, I think, is going to proceed with fall sports or not. And we may get that decision as early as tomorrow. 
Yeah, maybe. Um, doesn't seem like he's in a huge rush to to make a decision. Um, yeah, I just I, I don't have a gauge. I, I really don't. I, I would yep. say my needle right now is leaning towards no, but you know who knows. I I think everybody at this point is, especially in Big Ten countries, just kind of blowing in the wind in the direction of the wind and. And right now, I think it's blown in the direction of no, but who knows? That could change in even a couple hours. So, yeah, it's a wait and see. Sure could. I, I'm glad that the Board of Governors didn't make a blanket decision because they're exactly, Brett McMurphy's exactly right. The budgets of a D3 school are much, 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 much different than a Division One school. I mean, they, they don't rely. They're not so reliant on one sport to carry the load for them because D3 schools, football attendances is probably a couple thousand. So if they don't play, it doesn't make or break them. So where Division One, particularly the FBS level, which Nebraska is a part of that in the Big Ten, that's the make-or-break thing. Um, I've had several people tonight say Nebraska could go rogue on this thing if it doesn't play their way. I, I don't think they do that if it doesn't go their way. But this is 2020, Ben. Everything's different, right? The world's different right now. Yeah, it is definitely different. Uh, man, that would just be something else. That would be a season for the history books, there's no doubt. Oh, my goodness. What a good hour. Great to uh, hear from Andy Burcham to talk about the Auburn Tigers, team number 14 in our preseason top 25 poll. And we listed out our 10 most important Huskers in our top 10 list. You can go on the Husker, at Husker Sports and vote on that. we got Adrian Jojo Doman and Wandale Robinson up there for that. Tomorrow night here on the program, another edition of the Husker Huddle. Jeremiah Searles will sit down with Prince of Mucamara. We'll have that tomorrow night. Also, we'll continue our preseason top 25 countdown and hear from Lane Grindle.